This is an ABC podcast. You might remember during COVID, Australian farmers hit a brick wall. The steady tap of backpackers they relied on for picking their fruit and veg couldn't get here and all that produce was in danger of rotting. Then there was a silver lining. A boost to the Pacific Australian Mobility Scheme brought welcome relief. And not only that, you might remember the footage of hundreds of Samoans singing from the balcony of a Tasmanian hotel after two weeks of quarantine. Now, that was a morale booster. But now, as the number of islanders coming to Australia explodes, there are stories that workers are being mistreated. I'm Sinead Mangan, and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadja Country, Perth. As we've come out of the worst of the pandemic, the Pacific Island Worker Programme has expanded rapidly. In May last year, there were just over 24,000 workers in Australia under what's called the Pacific Australia Labour Mobility Scheme. Now, 10 months later, those numbers are closer to 38,000. And industries aside from agriculture are now keen to employ people from Vanuatu, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji and other Pacific nations. While it's been seen as a win-win because it allows Pacific workers to send money home and fills crucial labour gaps in Australia, not all workers who leave their families behind to come and earn money in Australia have had a positive experience. There's been claims of exploitation and calls for better supporters for workers to make sure vulnerable workers don't slip through the cracks. Our reporter, Audrey Corty, has been investigating the issue in what is one of Australia's biggest food bowls, Bundaberg in Queensland. Now, Audrey, what have you heard from the islanders you've spoken to? Well, I've heard a range of experiences. So some people are able to come here and, um, you know, they get the minimum 30 hours that they've been offered in their contracts for those nine months. You know, they get 30 hours each week and they're able to set aside money and provide for their families. But it seems that some workers um, are not getting those 30 hours and it really depends on who they've been contracted to work for. Uh, unfortunately, so I spoke to a, a couple of women who are getting less than half of that. So they, they've been here for eight months and they've actually spent half that time on standby. So they haven't been working and they haven't been earning an income. Let's hear what Elizabeth Matuku had to say. She's from Fiji and she travelled to Bundaberg underneath this scheme. The average uh, hours we're supposed to work for is 30 hours in a week. But most of us, we're not getting average of 30 hours a week. We don't have any idea for that. That's why I've been asking why they keep on uh, keeping us on standby. That's Elizabeth Matuku, who lives in Bundaberg as part of the PAM scheme. And she's not getting the 30 hours that she thought she'd get when she moved from Fiji to Bundaberg and finding herself on standby quite a lot of the time. As you said, Audrey, it's not just... Uh, Elizabeth is not just supporting herself, she's also supporting her family back home. How, how are they managing that? How is she managing that? Well, she's not managing very well at all. So she was saying, you know, there's been weeks where she couldn't feed herself and had to rely on community groups. So members of the Pacific diaspora here in the region, um, you know, she said, you know, they don't have a car. And usually that's the hostels and the accommodation providers that are supposed to provide a car. So even things like groceries and being able to go to the supermarket, you know, they were saying that they were having to put everything in a trolley and take everything back <laughs> to oh, their to room. to walk it back to their room. Walk it back. Yeah. So there's not even access 
against those sorts of um, amenities. And yeah, they were really struggling. They were saying, you know, they're, they're trying to find ways of cooking inside their rooms that they share with six other people. Um, so it's, it's quite poor conditions. Sarah Rakapu also traveled to Bundaberg in July 2022, and she was picking and producing local produce. Now, she spoke about the difficulties because she was hoping to support her family. Let's have a listen to what she had to say. There's a lot of expectations back home for us coming here, trying to lift the standard up back home in Fiji. There's been a lot of issues because of our economy, because we came here for betterment. We came here to raise the standards of our living back home. For me, I'm a single mom of two back home, and uh, my um, parents... They're retired and they're looking after them. So I'm supporting my two kids and my retired parents. They're looking after me and they depend on me. And I'm here feeling useless. I'm not earning. I'm not supporting. That's Sarah Rakapu. When you spend time with her, how is that playing out for her, Audrey? Well, she says she felt a lot of shame and couldn't even call her family back home because she wasn't earning anything. There was these high expectations that we just heard her talk about. And here she is. She spent eight months and she's not able to send any money back home. So she feels a deep sense of shame, but she also feels really desperate. She said to me, I don't want to go home in a month um, empty handed. So she's quite concerned about that. And this is, you know, an experience that's been shared by other workers who are not earning enough. There's such high expectations placed on them by their families, by the communities that they're supporting back home, that when they're not earning enough, there's a lot of concern there, not just for their own well-being, because they're not able to support themselves, feed themselves, but also because they're not being able to do and meet the goals that they've set for themselves in coming here. Audrey, was that experience of Sarah and Elizabeth, was that one that you heard time and time again? Yeah, so I spoke to uh, a local community group, the Bundaberg Fijian Incorporation, and they told me that about 30 or so other Fiji nationals had shared this experience of coming here and really finding themselves on standby uh, for long periods of time. Uh, They're not getting the 30 hours um, that they've been offered a week in their contracts. And that means that now this community group is having to support them. They're having to feed them, look after their physical health. And they're doing a lot of work also on the ground to try and sort out this problem. They're talking to governments back home. They're trying to talk to the government here. um, And they say that it's quite complicated and that there's an over-reliance on these local community groups to fill in these gaps when there is an emergency situation like this. They would like to see um, emergency support services integrated into the Palm Worker Program so that if a worker gets stuck, if a worker has an issue with a contractor, a labor hire service, or a hostel, that there is somewhere they can go to to express their concerns or to express their needs, and that can be resolved through these systems, whereas right now all of this is being dealt with informally through grassroots uh, community groups. Obviously the work is there, Audrey, because the farmers have requested to have Pacific Islanders work on their farms. Why aren't these women being given work? In this particular instance, they said that they believe they're not being offered work by um, the farmers that they've been contracted to work for because uh, they're discriminated against their um, ethnicity. They said, you know, it's about their skin color. They would prefer to hire European backpackers as opposed to Pacific workers. Oh, the farm men, they only want white people. 
That's the reason we asked, why we, why are we not working? And said, oh, because sometimes they don't want specific people. Sarah Rakabu. Audrey, what's been done for these women now? Well, they're still uh, being supported by uh, the local community group. Um, and I've been told now that this has been, I think, escalated as well. They're really trying to resolve the situation. But I think Moe Turaga, who is the president of the Fiji uh, Incorporation here in Bundaberg, he said um, that, you know, they're essentially going to become you know, a sort of refugee in a month's time because they don't want to leave. They haven't earned enough money, but their contract is coming to an end. So they're trying to figure out what's going to happen then. And so they're still in this kind of, they're stuck in a bit of a limbo at the moment. Audrey Corty, our reporter in one of Australia's largest fresh food growing regions, Bundaberg in Queensland. Takuni Tavui is the chief executive officer of the Pacific Islands Council of South Australia. Now 50, he arrived in Australia to Sydney from the Pacific when he was 15. At that time, there wasn't a lot of Pacific Islanders uh, where I grew up in Sydney. I sort of I started off in Sydney. Um, but rugby was something that really uh, got me connected to the community. So as difficult as it was in the first year or two, but once I found my connection, in, which was rugby and the church, I was able to, to be part of the community and enjoy, be able to just uh, participate as, as a normal Australian. It took me years to really get a good a grasp of, of the Australian culture and, and, and what it's like. But certainly those first uh, few years uh, was, was obviously a, 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 a developing, uh, um, I guess, for me personally to be, to, to be able to grasp and, and, and fit into the culture, the new, the new culture that, I've, that, I've, uh, that I'm now living. And the challenges that were described by those women, and one of them was about racism, is that something that you experienced yourself? I guess... Certain, I guess, certain times. Um, not exactly when I when I first arrived. Probably later, later then, in, in the later years when I was able to, you know, work and, and go to college and, and do all those sort of things. Where uh, I, I might have come across some of those scenarios where where you can you're viewed differently because of your skin, skin color and, and how you look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so yeah, uh, but but not uh, not as bad as what the, 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 those young ladies were, were presenting. Do you think that's getting any better? In terms of racism, mm. listen. The the look the the, the, the we, we talk to workers a lot, and and we are hearing some of those comments. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, and, and whether there's understanding of each other and understanding how um, the communication and 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 how to to work in an environment in a new environment, uh, they they feel that uh, in some cases they feel uh, there is there's cases of discrimination. Takuni Tavui often represents the voices of Pacific Islanders in the corridors of power in Canberra. He says leaders of industry in Australia are crying out for workers and are keen to tap into the ability to bring staff over from all of the Pacific Islands. Over in South Australia, uh, we've got a, um, a tuna farm over in Port Lincoln. Uh, that's now, and I think uh, lately, was about 40 to 50 workers from five countries in that space. Um, but uh, certainly uh, with the wheat industry starting to, to get involved in that space as well, which is new down here. So um, there's no uh, restriction now. Uh, or, or every every sector that is struggling for workers or struggling, struggling for, for um, labour um, uh, are, are, are obviously interested in the programme. So what you're describing there is a system that's really heaving under the weight of all of this. You know, we've got a country that needs workers, people who want to come to Australia to to work. And 
a system that has to manage all that. That's a huge movement of people. How is the system coping with that? Have, have holes emerged? Naturally, when you when you when you in an in an environment or when you're working on a project where uh, there's there's an increase or uh, um, um, you know a, a growth or a development that is happening in a rep, in rapid time, um, and naturally some of the the the, the fr- framework, some of the structures uh, will be tested, and 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 if those structures are not built are not developed to to meet the demand, obviously you'll start to see some cracks, and and naturally for some of the employers who are you know um, bringing in a, a lot of workers and, and are increasing rapidly in numbers, uh, they, they'll start to impact them. And, you could, and that obviously leads to challenges and welfare issues and things like that, um, that we, we have to manage. So definitely we can see that the program, the numbers are growing very quickly and the program needs to adapt to that number. We've, we've heard there a little earlier that workers in Queensland are neither getting the hours that they thought they would get. Have you heard stories like that of people feeling that they've been that they're being treated poorly, not paid appropriately, and not getting the work that was promised? Yes, yes, we have. We have. You know, we've been around for a few years now, so we've we've, we've seen um, a lot of a lot of circumstances, a lot of stories. Uh, those cases that you just talked about, uh, absolutely, I'm actually personally aware of that particular uh, scenario. The fact of the matter, there are there are some employers who are doing a wonderful job. They are really working hard. They're bending over backwards for their employees, and we personally know them. But there are those that are still. Uh, not operating within the the laws that they that are, that they're supposed to adhere to, and that's what exactly happened in that scenario that I've been told. Um, the what was pr- promised to them, what they were required to provide to the workers, I believe, uh, was not sufficient to meet uh, what what they're supposed to be provided with. And is there a backlash for an employer when that when those situations arise, such as this employer? Well, well, the government has has this uh, the process to to manage that, and, and I believe that that's taking place right now. So, um, I mean, many of the Pacific workers are are living in regional Australia, and um, I'd imagine that brings with it with it its own issues, and mainly around infrastructure and how they can be housed. Is mm. there an issue with housing the numbers of workers that are coming? Has that been managed? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. When you've got uh, such a number, uh, you know, being moved to particularly the regional areas, uh, there's there's a huge stress on infrastructure, on housing, uh, and often sometimes it also creates problems for for the local community uh, in terms of of how you know the the infrastructure is supporting them. And so it's certainly uh, a challenging scenario that that the government and employees are, are trying to to improve on. Any solutions there? Have there been any kind of nifty solutions that people have come up with? I'm aware of some of the employees that have gone out and just bought a hotel, a motel. Really? A, a local, yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm aware of three or four cases. They've just gone ahead and bought a local motel and just fixed it all up for accommodation for their workers, for their staff. The, another part of this is that the federal government made an election commitment to allow Pacific workers that are here for the longer placements, which I think is four years. Is that right? The longer term placements? Um, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's yeah. true. And so they can bring their families to Australia with an agreement of their employer's sponsor. Now, that's expected later this year. Mm. How, how do you see that playing out? Where can you see the, the pros and cons for that? Obviously, the challenges around accommodation is going to be a big one around uh, family re- relocation, the support network around that, and uh, and just uh, you know helping helping the the, the family 
uh, establish themselves and, and adapt to the new environment. So there's a whole range of challenges uh, that we're looking at, even around the medical uh, services, uh, around w- what kind of medical services they will be able to access. Uh, so government is still looking at that in better ways. I've, uh, I was in a meeting with the Minister of International Development and the Pacific uh, recently in Canberra, and they certainly uh, recognise the need for that, and they're certainly working to come up with, with a solution to, to manage that particular case around the, the medical service. But yeah, as, as wonderful it is, and we're, we're supportive of that, uh, we certainly there's a lot of uh, areas that needs to be looked at and, 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 and uh, I guess uh, be, be, be presented in a way that will be beneficial for the family. Tukini, I'd imagine there's a lot of opportunity there for regional towns, though, particularly those that may have seen a loss of, you know, people moving to the cities. And, you know, but if they, there's a new injection of young families coming in, that then can have a knock-on effect for the school, for the community and kind of start building that community up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, just to give an example from, from in, in the sporting world, uh, a, lo- a small town in Randmark in South Australia, we've got a soccer club there, Randmark Olympics. Um, the last uh, couple of years ago, two years ago, they, they did really well uh, and they had a group of Niva, Nivanuatu workers who have been playing for them for a number of years and, and these workers got the best in Ferris for the two years in a row uh, because, you know, they, they obviously love soccer. Um, and we've got workers who actually uh, uh, joined the local um, fire services and, and volunteering on a weekly basis on their days off to, to be part of uh, an initiative to support the community. Uh, we know workers who are helping out with the local um, a charity organisation, a Red Cross and things like that. Even in Western Australia, over in Broome, we've got workers there who are uh, volunteering for the local uh, organisation to support. Being part of the local churches, some of them uh, have joined the church and become part of the, the worship team of that church. Uh, you know, Pacific Islanders love music and they love to sing. and So there's such, certainly... Uh, a lot of elements of this program in terms of the workers and how they can be integrated is working really well and that's one of the things we support it's uh, you know uh, integrating to a community to be part of a community not just to come and work and earn money but how can you contribute to that community that's a critical uh, component for the success of this program Takini Tavui who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Pacific Islands Council of South Australia thanks for chatting to Australia Wide today thank you for having me you're listening to ABC Australia Wide And you're with me, Sinead Mangan. We've heard a lot about the struggles that have plagued business in recent years, things like labour shortages, rising costs and lockdowns, to name a few. And if you were keen on starting up a business, you might understandably be a bit reluctant to do it now. But in a regional Queensland town about three hours north of Brisbane, some keen shop owners have defied the COVID pandemic to send the town of Childers into a business boom. And despite being labelled by some as crazy, they tell Pahini they don't regret it for one second. Mulberry Stone is a beautiful little place full of beautiful gifts and a nice place to come and shop and explore. Ever since she was a child, Inga Stallen has wanted to open her own shop. So when a storefront became available in the regional Queensland town of Childers last year, she leapt at the opportunity. So we opened 26th of June and it's been a lifelong dream. (laughs) The shop come open, it's available. We realise that there's more and more new people in town. Thought it'd be a good time. Give it a go. She says she didn't even consider the difficulties of opening a store in the midst of a labour shortage, rising costs and other pressures driven by a global pandemic. People were saying that I was a bit crazy doing it. 
right away, but I just thought I'd give it a go. You know, build it and they will come. Ms Stallon said her decision was based heavily on the influx of new people she'd seen arrive in town. So I've lived here 12 to 13 years um, and have just seen in the last probably three years huge growth and different people, a different type of people moving to town. Probably a bit more money too. But Inga wasn't alone in her crazy decision to set up shop in Childers during the pandemic. Childers Chamber of Commerce President Margaret Smith says there have been more than 21 new businesses open in the small town in the last 18 months. She says rather than hinder local business, the COVID pandemic has heralded the beginning of a business boom in the small town of 1,500 people. COVID has changed forever the landscape of where we live and we've always been a busy little town but COVID made this, you know, a really busy place for people to be. So there's a lot of people, a lot of tourists have been driving through and a lot of people realising that this is a great little spot for them to move to. We've had a lot of new people move into the area as well and then to start businesses as well. So it's come from that, it's come from there's people who've moved back into Childers that grew up here and they've moved away and done their thing and they've come back now they're raising families and they've decided that this is the place that they want to to start their business. Just down the main road from Ms Stallon's shop Sandy Tyus makes and sells dog treats, biscuits and meals. She credits the town's business success to the support of the Childers community. People are really really friendly very supportive. The travellers I think just love the atmosphere of Childers. It's a, a country town but a really friendly environment you know the community support is just overwhelming and I know a lot of the town people say I'd rather buy in town than go to Bundaberg but there's plenty here in town available for everyone so um, yeah it, I mean it's excellent that they do support the town and visitors on top of that are a bonus. But why open a shop in Childers and why now? Chamber of Commerce President Ms Smith says a range of factors, including the town's location on the major tourist route of the Bruce Highway, have made Childers an ideal spot for new business. With so much traffic, the gateway to the Barrier Reef, really, they've got to come through here on their way to Bundaberg, right on the main highway. They see that opportunity. Because of that, it's opened up all sorts of different opportunities for people. I know someone in particular that moved up from the Sunshine Coast. They were looking for a quieter type of living, even though she runs a business, this lady. So she was looking for somewhere just a little bit quieter. Cost-effective as well. Let's, let's put that on the table. You know, we are still in a in a space where people can afford to, to come in and live here. So there's lots and lots of um, different reasons uh, that people uh, choose to come here. And I think the weather, let's face it, median temperature 24 all year round, who wouldn't want to live here? And it's not only the Childers Township riding this influx of industry. A 15-minute drive north, the small town of Cordalba has also experienced a rush of newcomers. Vicky Walters moved her psychology practice from the Sunshine Coast and says it's one of the best decisions she's ever made. When I first let the doctors know I was opening, the receptionist nearly leapt over the counter to cuddle me, saying thank you. <laughs> We've needed this for some time. Community here is just amazing. We came up from the Sunshine Coast, you know, small blocks of land, lots of people. We bought half an acre for a ridiculously small sum. This was the beginning of COVID. And not long after we took over, we came up to just cut a couple of trees down that needed to go. And one of the neighbours who we'd never met turned up with a bowl of soup and some toast for us because she thought, it's cold, we might be hungry. Another person lent us their house for a week and the week before we moved into 
this house. And this is a person I'd met once for a cup of coffee. So the whole community is so welcoming. This is such a small town, so everybody knows everybody. And it's the best thing we ever did was move here. It's really such a life-changing moment for us. She says it's this lend-a-hand attitude that has allowed business to thrive in these small communities. It's that word of mouth. Everybody helps everyone out, which is you know, the beauty of small areas. And Childers, I mean, Cordelba's really little and Childers is a bit bigger, but the same feeling is there. Everyone's very supportive of each other. There's not much in the way of competition, so new businesses are always welcome because it adds to the diversity of what we've got here. Ms Smith says she expects Childers will continue to ride this wave of growth for many years to come. Creating that business that keeps people here and they don't have to go anywhere is obviously the goal of any town and that is what we work to keep our workers here, we keep people living here, spending their money here and you know, keeping this fabulous community that we have sustained around itself. So yeah, while we have the industry and we continue to create infrastructure, we will see people moving into this community. Childers Chamber of Commerce President Margaret Smith closing out that story by Pat Heaney. And that's all from the Australia Wide team for this week. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Cheerio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.